Now please turn in your Bibles to the prophecy of Habakkuk chapter 3, and we'll be reaching the conclusion of the book of Habakkuk, and at the conclusion of this book we find uh, what has been described as one of the most powerful statements of faith, one of the most powerful expressions of faith in all of Scripture. So let's give careful attention to this because it's the very Word of God. Habakkuk chapter 3, beginning in verse 16 and reading to the end. I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon the people who invade us. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. To the choir master with stringed instruments. That's the reading of God's word. Let's ask him to bless it to us now. Father in heaven, we thank you for these words. We thank you for your holy word, and we ask you to bless the scriptures to us tonight. Uh, We pray that through them, through your very word, you would build us up in the faith. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. The Congressional Medal of Honor is the highest military decoration that our nation uh, bestows. The Medal of Honor is awarded for uh, conspicuous gallantry and valor. I've had opportunity to meet a a handful of Medal of Honor recipients. Uh, One of them was a man by the name of Colonel Robert Nett, He uh, lived in Columbus, Georgia. He was uh, retired from the U.S. Army after I forget how many years and retired at the rank of colonel, but his actions performed as a a captain during World War II were uh, what um, led to his uh, receiving the Medal of Honor. He was leading an assault and was wounded several times but refused to relinquish command. He continued to lead his troops. uh, and then not until they had secure, uh, secured their objective did he finally give command over to a subordinate and then under his own power, without assistance, walked back to the rear to receive medical attention for his multiple wounds. And this man retired in the Columbus, Georgia area, and so he's very active in the military community there on Fort Benning and was frequently a speaker at graduation ceremonies of different kinds. And they would read his citation uh, the, the citation for, the, uh, for his Medal of Honor when they would introduce him when he was going to speak. And it's a reminder to us of, of the nature of valor, of conspicuous gallantry. How is valor made conspicuous? 
How is valor demonstrated? What's demonstrated under the threat of great danger? It's demonstrated and made conspicuous in situations of tremendous risk. You know, it's very possible that some of you here in this room tonight might have a latent courage that would be sufficient to make you eligible for a Medal of Honor. The thing is, until you're thrust into that critical situation in which to put that courage on display, valor remains invisible. Similarly, faith is most conspicuous when there seems to be cause for doubt. Every day, Christians walk by faith. We have to do that. That's the life of the Christian. We walk by faith, not by sight. We serve a God who can't be seen. He's invisible. And to serve an invisible God calls for a daily kind of persevering faith through the ordinariness of life sometimes. But our faith is most conspicuously on display at times of affliction, at times of testing, at times of fear. Christian faith is most conspicuous when we wait upon the Lord and rejoice in Him in spite of our fears. I think that's what this passage teaches us. Christian faith is most conspicuous when we wait upon the Lord and rejoice in Him in spite of our fears. The first thing we see in the text that we're looking looking at tonight is fear. Habakkuk was afraid. And verse 16 contains a description of how he felt because of his fear. My body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Now you and I use expressions sort of similar to this. We'll say, if someone's afraid, we'll say he's shaking in his boots. Or we'll say his knees are knocking. And that's our description of a person who's frightened. Because even if those things aren't literally happening, um, they do relate to actual physiological occurrences that sometimes accompany great fear. At times, people really do tremble for fear. And the Hebrew word ragaz uh, is the word for tremble. And it's used twice there in verse 16. Habakkuk says, My tremble and my legs tremble beneath me. He also says his lips quiver at the sound, meaning the sound of the news of the judgment that's going to come from God. And you've seen, especially in little children, how if they're about to burst into tears, they're about to cry, their lips start to quiver a little bit sometimes. And the same thing occurs sometimes when a person is in a state of dread. The lips tremble. Now those are all extreme manifestations of fear and uh, it might be comparatively rare that fear works itself out in people in bodily trembling. But Habakkuk mentions some other manifestations of his fear. He speaks of rottenness entering his bones. And we might more readily identify with that experience that he's had and that he 
expresses. When we're afraid, we, we often get the sense of being physically weakened by our fear, don't we? Like our insides are turning to jelly. We feel sick to our stomachs. And on that note, the word for body that you see, as the ESV translates it, body in verse 16, that Hebrew word uh, most commonly refers to the belly or the stomach. Or in the case of uh, females, the womb. And so the physical sensations that accompanied Habakkuk's fear included this overall sense of weakness and the ache in his gut, the very same things that you and I feel sometimes when we're afraid. That's what he was undergoing. And the point of all this is simply that Habakkuk was really experiencing genuine, visceral fear. And that's important for you to know. Why? Because many of you have fears. All of us experience fear at some time or other. Some of us regularly wrestle with it, maybe even continuously. We don't always call it fear. Sometimes we soft pedal a little bit and we call it worry or we call it anxiety. And we are living in a pandemic of anxiety today, aren't we? COVID has pretty much subsided, but the anxiety pandemic is still with us, affecting young and old, rich and poor. Well, in a moment, we're going to hear Habakkuk's statement of faith in the very midst of his fears. And no one should, even for a moment, dare to entertain the thought that your fears are somehow more substantial or somehow more serious or somehow more significant than those of this prophet. I dare say Habakkuk had more reasons to fear than any of us. You know, if, you, if you'd like to get a little taste of what Habakkuk feared, go spend some time in eastern Ukraine. The foremost concern in the minds of the people over there is survival. Wondering whether they'll even live another day. Wondering where the next bomb is going to fall. Wondering where they might be able to find food or even water. That's real cause for fear. And I don't mean, please understand, I don't mean at all to make light of anyone's anxieties, of anyone's fears. But I want you to see that Habakkuk's fear was every bit as real as yours. His grounds for fear were as significant as anyone's. He anticipated the invading Babylonian armies. He anticipated shortages of necessary goods. But even in the face of the worst kinds of hardships, he declared his resolute faith in God. And that brings us to faith. Habakkuk makes a confession of faith here. And his confession of faith teaches us some important things about faith. It's it's sometimes been said, I've made this observation on occasions, it's been said that love is not a feeling It's a commitment. 
And in the same way, faith isn't a feeling either. Faith isn't based on a feeling. Faith isn't just a set of beliefs. Faith is a commitment to trust in the Lord. And that commitment is found in a phrase used three times in our passage tonight. And the phrase is, I will. Habakkuk had a pretty clear picture of what was going to happen in his land in the days to come. He and the covenant people faced the threat of the Assyrians. That threat was looming already. And God was going to remove that threat, but he was going to do so using the Babylonians, the Chaldeans. He was going to use a different conquering nation to get rid of the Assyrians, a conquering nation that was more dreaded and more fearsome than Assyria. And God had revealed all this to Habakkuk. He told him in advance. So Habakkuk knew it was coming, and Habakkuk was frightened. But his mind was made up that he was going to trust in the Lord. That's what faith really is. It's a resolve to trust in God. I will quietly wait, he said. He was determined to display that spirit that we find in Psalm 46, verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. It may seem easy to trust God when there's no trouble. But God is our refuge, our strength, and a very present help in trouble. Though the earth gives way, the psalm says, though the mountains be removed into the heart of the sea, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. The day of trouble would come eventually upon Israel's invaders. But by faith, Habakkuk resolved to wait quietly for that day as an exercise of his will as an exercise of his faith, he said, I will wait. I will not fret. I won't complain anymore to God. I will wait quietly. The two other I will statements are grouped together. You see them both in verse 18. And they show us something important about joy. Verse 18 declares these declarations. I will rejoice and I will take joy. And in both cases, the object of Habakkuk's joy is the Lord himself. I will rejoice in the Lord, he said. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. So you see how clearly this passage teaches us that joy is not based on outward circumstances. Happiness in large part, may be based on circumstances or outward conditions, conditions we're in, but that's not the case with joy. A person can be unhappy about events or the state of affairs and yet have an underlying joy because joy is deeper, joy is more substantial than the ephemeral sense of feeling happy 
So in that way, it's like love. It's like faith. Joy is less of a feeling, and it's more of a decision. That's why the prophet can say, I will rejoice. His mind is made up. That determination to rejoice, uh, that decision is captured in the words of a song written a number of years ago by Michael W. Smith. The title of the song aptly is, uh, I Will Rejoice. And one line from the refrain in that song is, I will rejoice till the depths of my soul can sing. The great truth contained there is that we don't rejoice, or at least the songwriter didn't rejoice, when the depths of his soul could sing, or if the depths of his soul can sing, but till the depths of his soul can sing. We rejoice as an act of faith. An act of the will. And as we do, the depths of our soul will eventually come along. They will, that is, provided that our faith and our rejoicing are based on a relationship with the true and living God. That's key. And that was the case with Habakkuk. His affirmation of faith in God is found in verse 19. Habakkuk didn't trust in his own strength. He says, God, the Lord is my strength. Now, what did he mean when he says, God makes my feet like the deer's? That's a way of saying God has refreshed me. God has strengthened me. It's much like what Isaiah, the prophet, testified about regarding those who wait for the Lord. They who wait for the Lord will renew their strength. They'll mount up with wings as eagles. When Habakkuk says God makes his feet like the deer's, it's the same as when Isaiah says they shall run and not be weary. God rejuvenates those who wait on him. Well then, what does Habakkuk mean when he says he makes me tread on my high places? This is a statement of confidence. It's, an, it's a statement of the assurance of final victory. Even though he had suffered and would suffer short-term loss, hardship, sorrow, and so on, he believed that in the end, he would triumph. God would triumph. He had the faith to say with Job, Though he slay me, yet I will trust him. The Spirit of Christ in him, in Habakkuk, was assuring him of the very thing Jesus told his disciples. I love these words. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good courage. I have overcome the world. So time for a faith check. Do you believe that? Do you believe Christ has overcome the world? And even if you have tribulation, you can be of good courage. You can trust in Him. Well, the final thing that this text presents for us is what I've called focus. Habakkuk displays faith. And he, he's staying focused on the Lord. <clears throat> he wasn't denying the facts. 
He wasn't ignoring the circumstances. He was simply choosing to focus on the Lord his God instead of the circumstances. The same is said about Abraham. Imagine, God had promised Abraham that his wife Sarah was going to bear him a son. And the facts of the case were these. Abraham was about 100 years old. Sarah, his wife, had been barren all her life. And now, add to that, she was past the age of childbearing. But Abraham was a man of faith. And I think it would be completely fair and legitimate to say his faith was a Christian faith. We're told about it in Romans 4, verses 19 and 21. Listen to this. It says, Abraham did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. And just like Abraham, Habakkuk did not weaken in his faith. When he considered the present circumstances in Judah, when he considered the upcoming trials and the hardships that were on the way and the devastation that was sure to come, No unbelief made Habakkuk waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith and gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to destroy his enemies and to deliver his people. Habakkuk chose to focus on the Lord. Chose to focus on the Lord's faithfulness, to focus on the Lord's power, to focus on the Lord's promises. So we have in this passage, and in the ESV text, it occurs twice, this word, yet. And so Habakkuk's focus is expressed like this. I'm fearful. Yet, I will quietly wait. Difficult times are coming. Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. The New Testament admonition concerning this kind of focused faith could be expressed in the words of Hebrews 12 too. Pastor Mark mentioned this statement this morning. Fix your eyes on Jesus. That's really what Habakkuk was doing. He was focusing on the God of his salvation. He was aware of the circumstances, but he was looking unto the Lord. The Apostle Peter He was walking on the water when his eyes were on Jesus. It was when he looked at the wind that he began to sink. In sports, coaches will tell athletes, keep your eyes on the ball. And so a a really well-trained wide receiver knows that defenders will be rushing towards him He knows they'll hit him. But he's been conditioned to keep his eyes on the ball. His job is to catch the pass, even though he hears footsteps, as they say. His mind must not be preoccupied with the risk of a painful collision. He has to focus on making the catch. The walk of faith is somewhat like that. In our lives, 
There are a thousand cares and concerns that would draw our hearts away from God. Many of them require our attention, but they must not become the focal point of life. Or to use the words of the Lord Jesus once again, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. In chapter 2, verse 4, remember, we saw those powerful gospel words, the righteous shall live by his faith. And here, at the close of the book and of Habakkuk's prayer, we find a, a model of that very kind of faith. As the Old Testament scholar David Baker wrote, Habakkuk who starts in depression and doubts as to God's righteousness and justice, ends with a lively confidence in God's provision and sustaining power. Now, as, as best we can tell, the hardships that are cataloged here in verse 17 of our text had not yet come. They were most likely coming, but they were still only potential. In essence, Habakkuk was saying, even if things get as bad as they could possibly be, I will trust in God. I will rejoice in Him. So what about us? What about God's people in 2022? The conditions mentioned in verse 17 translate very easily enough into our context. So let's do another faith check. If inflation continues or gets worse, if my retirement account, account goes into the tank and never recovers, if the grocery store shelves are empty, remember just a couple of years ago in 2020, there's a period of time there where nobody could find toilet paper or disinfectant wipes. Last year, a couple of other different things seemed to be in short supply, but, but never for long, and it was never very widespread. But what if here, in our own country, we went through an experience like Soviet-era, Soviet-style scarcities of goods, and you go to the supermarket and there's almost nothing on the shelves anywhere. My sister used to live for a time in a former Soviet state. While she was there, she had to uh, sometimes wait in line just to buy meat. And I remember her giving an account of that experience. She'd walk up to the counter when it was her turn, and the worker behind the counter would say, do you want beef or chicken? And my sister would say, I'd like beef, please. And the worker would say, we only have chicken. What if we ended up living like that? What if there were widespread supply shortages or even limited availability of basic goods, basic needs? What if you could no longer enjoy the standard of living that you've been, been used to all your life and you had to live on less? You had to live with less. 
Do you think you could come to terms with the standard that's set for us in 1 Timothy 6, verse 8? If we have food and clothing with these, we'll be content? Or do you have to have that 401k? Do you have to have that other thing? Whatever it may be. What's the very worst that could happen? How bad could things get for you, for us, for our nation, for the church? Could you still wait quietly for the Lord? God knows we have fears. Why else would the scriptures contain so repeatedly the admonition, fear not, be not afraid? Hillary and I are reading a devotional book together right now, and one of our recent readings had this to say about fear. Our fears can serve an important purpose. They show us where we have really located our heart's treasure. Follow the pathway of the fear back into your heart to discover the things you love more than God. Do that. Ask God to show you your idols. And then ask him to help you destroy them. Let's close now by fixing our eyes on Jesus. First of all, the very worst imaginable conditions we could experience in this life are better than what Jesus experienced for us when he was suffering for our sins on the cross. You'll never experience the worst because he's already undergone it for you. Thanks be to Christ. Secondly, no matter what happens, Jesus has promised to be with you. I am with you always, even to the end of the earth. He has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Third, even the very best of this world's goods, they're all passing away. Because this world is passing away. It's temporary. It has an expiration date. And that's why Jesus says, don't lay up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. That's why his word teaches us not to fix our hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God. He teaches us to lay up treasure in heaven because those are the only treasures that will endure. And any amount of treasure in heaven is vastly greater than all the cumulative wealth that earth has to offer. But you'll only ever be persuaded of these truths through faith. Hebrews 11.1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Habakkuk couldn't see the salvation of the Lord yet. But by faith, he could quietly wait for it. And you can do the same. And when you do, that's how your faith shines through. Let's pray together. Father, you have searched us and known us. You know that we have fears just as Habakkuk did. Lord, strengthen our faith 
and give us the grace to focus on you, to fix our eyes on Jesus. And may we be shining lights and examples of faith to the world around us. We pray that through us, Christ would be lifted up and that he would draw all men to himself. This we pray for his honor and for his glory and in his name.